This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. To our guests, hello, my name is Paul. I'm the pastor and teacher here at House on the Rock. Thank you for being here. Those watching online, thank you very much for tuning in. Take out the notes that you received when you walked in. And we're going to dive in this morning. I want to read you a poem. This is titled, What You Missed That Day You Were Absent from Fourth Grade. What You Missed That Day You Were Absent from Fourth Grade. Mrs. Nelson explained how to stand still and listen to the wind, how to find meaning in pumping gas, how peeling potatoes can be a form of prayer. She took questions on how to feel, not feel lost in the dark. After lunch, she distributed worksheets that covered ways to remember your grandfather's voice. Then the class discussed falling asleep without feeling you'd forgotten to do something something important, and how to believe that the house that you wake up in is your home. This prompted Mrs. Nelson to draw a chalkboard diagram detailing how to chant the Psalms during cigarette breaks, how not to squirm for sound when your own thoughts are all that you hear, also that you have enough. The English lesson was that I am is a complete sentence. And just before the afternoon bell, she made that math equation look easy. That one that proves that hundreds of questions and feeling cold and all those nights spent looking for whatever it was you lost and one person add up to something. You ever feel that way? Like you're missing something? Like there's something that you really should have gotten when you were in fourth grade or fifth grade, but you weren't there when it was being passed out, and now you're just going through life at a loss. Like there's tools that you're supposed to have in your bag that would probably make adulting a lot easier, but you weren't there when those were getting handed out. There's a story that you were supposed to hear. There's a truth that you were supposed to be told. There's a way of going through the math that makes everything add up right. Yeah. I think a lot of us feel that way most of the time. That I don't have the things that I need. And as a result, as we walk alongside of our kids and our grandkids, as we walk alongside our neighbors, we're constantly confronted with the fact that I don't have enough to help them do the things that they need to do. Got them out of lack. I was absent that day in fourth grade when they handed out things like patience, confidence in the gospel, how to stand back up again when you fall down. Two weeks ago, we began a series on the foundation of our life. The Apostle Paul said there's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. You can build a life any other place that you want, but there's only one foundation. If you want a life that has a foundation, it must be Jesus Christ. Nothing else lasts. And we wrestled with the kind of materials that we use, the kind of things that will last through the judgment, the kind of things that endure. Last week, I talked about that's not enough, though. If we're going to be honest about building, then we have to learn how to hold fast. Those things need to be mortared to, stuck to. We need to learn how to cling to those things. And then this week, we're going to talk about legacy. Legacy. In your notes, if you take out your notes, they're just a little message guide inside a place to write things down, questions, a place to write down verses that you want to look up later. There's questions on the back, upcoming messages. But maybe this is something that we could wrestle with this morning. 
our lifestyle becomes someone's legacy. Our lifestyle, how we live our life, becomes their legacy, our children's legacy, our grandchildren's legacy, our neighbor's legacy, how we choose to live our life and build upon Jesus Christ. And I heard a wise person, they posted it on social media because that's where you get all the good stuff. Legacy is not what you leave for someone. It's what you leave in someone. Legacy is not what you leave for someone. It's what you leave in them. So let's talk about legacy. How when we are building, we need to be mindful of where we place things. How we place things. How aligned they are. How plumb they are. How true they are. How level they are. Because in my situation, I have sons who are coming after. And they build. I have a church family that's watching. I have ministry leaders that are watching. And how I build my lifestyle, how I practice my faith, becomes the legacy for them how they will build on. And so you can imagine, if I don't take this seriously, I make their life very difficult, don't I? To help us, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're going to be in and out of that whole chapter. Some of the verses will be up on the screen for you to follow along if you like. We're going to anchor in on verses 19 through 23. But I'm going to pull pieces out of the whole thing. There's Bibles located in the seats in front of you if you want to follow along. Or if you have a phone or a tablet, uh, you you can catch them that way. The book of Deuteronomy is a series of messages given by Moses to the people of God as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're a series of sermons. And he's trying to re-anchor them and establish them in the message and the story of God. And part of that, as we shall see, has to do with the tension of legacy. That our lifestyle becomes someone else's legacy. So Deuteronomy chapter 11. Let me read a few verses, and then I'll try to put them into context for you and see if they can't help us as we move forward. Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'm going to start reading just in verse 18, and then we'll drill down after that, verse 19. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart. In your soul, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. He's talking about the very things that we've talked about the last couple weeks. Making our life, our faith, our priority. Building a life upon Jesus Christ. Building a life upon truth. Okay? If you weren't able to be here for those, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com. You can listen to those messages. But look where he goes after that. Verse 19. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land, that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as as long as the heavens are above the earth. Verse 22. If you'll be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to them, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you. So right from the beginning, as we're looking at these passages, he talked about you need to lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your hands. You need to bind them to your hands, bind them to the front of your head. Maybe you've seen pictures of Jews at the wailing wall. They'll actually take the commandments of God and they'll put them in a little, they're called phylacteries, and they'll lash them to their arms during times of prayer. They'll lash them to their foreheads. The understanding is that God's word needs to become how you do things, how you think things, how you process the world. And I'm not going to review all the things that we talked about the last couple weeks. But he says, you need to make the alignment of your life upon God your priority. It begins with 
If we're talking about your children and your children's children and the generations are to come, then you must take seriously how you build your life, how you love the Lord, how you follow after him. He says, you need to take these words, therefore. And that therefore is really important in interpretation. You always need to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And normally that means you need to look ahead. And so all through this chapter, in chapter 11, he unpacks the things that, that help us align our life upon God. So if you can, we're going to go back to the beginning uh, of this chapter. And let's talk about what are the blocks that we lay and how we help those who are going to come after us. I'm going to start. I know poor Elena who's running the camera right now. is so just probably a, a nervous wreck. Elena, you good? Yeah. You're awesome. I appreciate that. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Let's talk about some of these things and how I align myself. He says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God, keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, his commandments always, and consider today, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not seen or seen it, seen it or heard it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God and his greatness. If I'm going to take aligning my life with God seriously, I need to take discipline seriously. Discipline is obedience that's lived out. It's taking the instructions of God and taking them seriously. If God says to do something, we do that. But next to devotion comes discipline, a lifestyle. God gives instructions on in how to live. We take them seriously. God gives instructions on in how to order various aspects of relationships in your home and what to eat and what not to eat and when to wake and how to go about your day. We're talking about the, the Jewish laws here. And they say, all right, you need to align yourself with that discipline. You need to live a life of discipline. Just consider it. Wrestle with it. Make it your priority. A life devoted is a life disciplined and shaped by God. See, I'm right. But he goes on after that, not just discipline, but also stories of deliverance. You need to align your life and build your life upon God's stories. Like he keeps reading. Signs and deeds, this is verse 3. Signs and deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all his land. Verse 4. What he did to the army of Egypt, to the horses and to the chariots, that he made the, uh, the waters of the Red Sea flow over them as he pursued after you. And how the Lord destroyed them to this day. Wow. Part of helping the next generation, if I'm taking legacy seriously, means that I'm going to align myself to the stories of God's deliverance. Okay? okay? I've got devotion. I've got discipline. And now I have stories of deliverance. We love stories, right? We like good stories. We're hardwired for stories. There's a reason we're to tell our kids stories. Some of those stories need to be the stories of God's deliverance. What did God do? How did God do it? They're the stories of Scripture. Who is Jesus Christ? What did Jesus Christ do? How he healed people. How he restored people. What Jesus is in the process of doing that should be a part of our life. But your own story is a deliverance. What God has done in your life. Where do those stories of God's deliverance come from? You know where they come from? They come from a life disciplined and obedient. Obedience gives opportunity. Obedience gives opportunity. So if I can't think of stories of deliverance, if I don't see God doing things in my life, then it might be the fact that I'm not living the way God told me to live. If I want more of God in my life, I need to do things the way God told me to do them. If I want my children and my grandchildren, if I want generations to come to see those things, then I need to walk in such a way that I am disciplined because discipline gives way to stories of deliverance. And he says, consider these things. Consider what God did for you as he brought you out of Egypt. 
Stories of God, of deliverance throughout Scripture. Stories of deliverance in your own life. But also just good, redeemable stories. There are some good movies out there, right? There are some good books out there. I mean, if you've ever been in any of my classes, it's quite common for me to walk in. Hey, do you guys see this movie? It's on Netflix. It's really good. You should watch it. It's just a good movie. It's just a good, redeemable story. It's fun. Don't watch that one. That's no good. Hey, here's a great book. Anyone read this book? Read this book. I'm always looking for good stories to put in front of my sons. They shape how we think about reality. Good stories, not just any story. So I'm checking out reviews online. I'm, I'm going to places, hey, well, well, is there anything in this movie that I need to be leery of? Is this a bad story? Is this a good story? Is this a story of deliverance? Is this a story that I can jump on and help my sons anchor themselves in such things as right and wrong? Yeah. So when I talk about aligning myself, aligning my life, devotion and, and, and discipline and deliverance, but also the deceptiveness of my heart. The deceptiveness of my heart. That my heart is prone to wander. My heart is prone to build on its own. It's prone to get out of line. If you go through, he says this a couple different times in a couple different ways in this chapter. If you look at verses 5 and 6. In what he did to you in the wilderness. Remember, wilderness is when Israel said, hey, we're not, God's not going to deliver us. This is beyond us. We're going to ignore the stories of God's deliverance, and we just want to go back to Egypt. And so that led to 40 years of wandering. And so you came to this place. What God did to Dathan and Abiram, these are the ones who led the revolt. These are the stories. Like, I don't know the stories. Learn the stories. How the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them. This is the golden calf. Their households, their tents, every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. Your eyes have seen all the great works that the Lord has done. Verse 16, take care lest your heart be deceived. I love telling my son stories about the good things I've done. Don't we all? Let me tell you about my wins. Let me tell you about my victories. Let me tell you what I did in high school. I will not tell you what I did in college. <laughs> Why? I want them to see me in a certain light, which unfortunately is only half true half the time. But God says to Moses, we have a responsibility to communicate with the next generation how deceptive our heart is. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He says, hey, remember the whole wilderness thing? That didn't go well. Hey, remember when we didn't listen to God and we didn't trust the stories of God's deliverance? Remember that? Remember when we wanted to do it our own way? How we wanted to set up our own idols and our own gods? Remember that? Don't you dare forget that. That your heart is deceptive. It wants to misbuild and misalign and go its own way. They need to know how important it is to keep that in the front of their thinking. Do not follow your heart. Please. It makes my job really hard. Part of aligning myself and preparing it for those who come is honest conversation about how deceptive our heart is. Devotion to God. Discipline in how I live my life. God says, obey, I obey. That gives opportunities for stories of deliverance. Stories of deliverance. Lest my heart be deceived. One more. One more block to wrestle with is difference. That who we are is different than the way other people do things. Who we are is different than the way other people do things. 
He says this in verse 8. You should keep the whole commandment that I commanded you today, that you may be strong, that you may go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess, that you may live long in that land, the land that your Lord, the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. For the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you've come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you're going over to possess is a land of hills, valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Now, understand this, let's just talk about agriculture a little bit. Okay, so he's just giving them a heads up, planters, farmers, this land's different than that land. So when you were in the Nile Delta, okay, there's a different way that you could plant because you got the River Nile and you're pulling out irrigation streams and you could plant a certain way, there's a certain rhythm there. Well, hey, heads up, moving into Palestine and water don't work that way. You've got hills that you're going to have to contend with and valleys that you're going to have to contend with. And oh, rain comes in certain seasons. So you're going to have to be mindful of when you plant and when you wait and how you wait and other things that are coming. You just need to know that you're moving into a different land. A land that your God is looking on all the time and he loves dearly. Ask my sons. They've heard me. We do things differently. I get that your friends at school might do it that way. We do things differently. I get that your friend's parents might allow that. We do things differently. I get that's the way they talk at work. We talk differently. We spend differently. I get that your friends like to belittle and mock. I get that it's cool around the water cooler to poke fun at your spouse. We do things different. Part of building a life upon Jesus Christ, part of alignment, aligning my life, is wrestling with the tension and the reality that we do things differently. Now, the sad part is some of the things that we choose to be different are really dumb and don't matter at all. Okay, they just, the hills that we choose to die on are stupid hills. But it really makes us feel self-righteous and we'll have to wrestle with that. But there are places where it really does matter, doesn't it? And so I'm raising sons, prayerfully a church family that knows we do things differently. This is all about what it means to align because there are those who are coming after who are going to build upon this legacy. And so that's why Paul says, this was our first week, two weeks ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, take care then how you build. Take care of how you do things. Hold fast to the hope of the confession of your faith. For he who made it is faithful. It's with those things in mind then that he now comes to them in verse 19. And this is what I just read to you 20 minutes ago, okay? Some of you are like, I know, we've been counting. He says in verse 19, with those things in mind, okay, teach them to your children. Teach these things to your children. What? Devotion. Discipline. Deliverance. Deception of your heart. The difference of how we live our life. You teach these things, verse 19, to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates that your days and the days of your children, those who building out, that their days may be long in the land that the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers. Okay, so my alignment, me aligning my life, okay, includes also now aligning my conversations with others about these things. He says, when you talk about it, formally and informally, okay? Elena, I'm going to go this way now. 
I'm going to stop here. Good? All right. She said, thank you. Formally and informally, teaching and talking, teaching and talking. Teach them, talk about them. Teach formal instruction, class environment, going to Sunday school, going to Torah classes if you're Jewish, learning certain aspects of who God is, what God has done, formal instruction. The Hebrew alphabet, if you look at the letters, they're all pretty boxy and they're all pretty much the same size, height and width. Okay, they're all real boxy except one letter. The very middle letter. It's the symbol of God's law, his instruction. As far as you're concerned, it's the letter L. Smack dab in the middle. It goes higher above all the letters. It goes lower than all the letters. It symbolizes an ox goad. If you come from an agrarian culture, you know what an ox goad is. Okay? You have a you have a team of oxen, and they have a yoke on them, and they are pulling, and they are going forward. But guess what? That's hard to do. If I were an ox, I wouldn't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And so sometimes you got to poke them, goad them with a stick to keep moving forward. Hey, this is the line. This is the direction. As you have the loss, it is weighing upon you. Keep moving forward. Formal instruction. We need to keep moving them forwards. And he says, not just formal instruction. He says, when you're talking, when you're talking, when you're going to the 7-Eleven, when you're stopping off at Walmart after church, when you're going to go have Mexican food, just hang out and talk about what? These things. Talk about these things. Talk about how much you love the Lord, his mighty deeds. Talk about his deliverance. Talk about his instructions. Talk about when you screwed up. Talk about how you live differently. You talk about that. Aligning your conversation with these things. The psalm that we read together in Psalm 78 is all about that. We will not keep them to ourselves. We will not hide them. We will pass them on to our children's children that the generation after them will know the Lord and place their hope in him. If you've been reading with us uh, through the Bible, Okay, you would have read Psalm 40 this week, Psalm 40 and Psalm 41, where he says the same thing. Hey, when I'm in church, when I'm with my people, I'm going to tell God's story. I'm going to share it out loud. I'm not going to hide it. Aligning conversation. He talks about aligning your time. Aligning your time. These are things, if you want to write them down, I would suggest writing them down. Aligning conversation, aligning time. He says, hey, when you do a couple of things, when you get up and when you lie down, When you lie down, when you rise, these are aligning time. These are formal moments. When you get up and when you lie down in a Jewish household, you would pray the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Whole chunks of Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, sections from the book of Numbers. Part of leaving a legacy is helping create time for certain things to happen in the day, to align lives upon Jesus Christ. I've shared this with you, but in our household, we have a rhythm. Everyone in our house knows to be at the dining room table at 6.30 in the morning. That's what happens, okay? Elise wakes up at a certain time. I wake up long before that. I'm a 4 a.m. guy, okay? Elise wakes up in a time so that she can be at the dining room table at 6.30. The boys know that they need to wake up when they need to wake up so that they're at the dining room table at 6.30, Aiden, does any good thing happen if you're not there at 6.30? Yeah, no, right? No. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Why? What happens at 6.30? We pray and welcome the day. We read scripture together. We go over what's going to happen. We say the Lord's Prayer together and hold hands. And then out we go. It's a formal, appointed time for the right thing to happen. Yeah. Ten. 12 minutes. Then Elise goes her way. The boys, they finish up getting prepped. I finish getting prepped. And then at 7 o'clock, we're all out the door doing our thing. We are aligning time so that we can build our life upon Jesus Christ. I set the tone, not my kids. I don't work for them. Right? I don't work for my kids. I help them learn how to start the day. So as I am aligning, they're coming along to align. And to help, time is very helpful. He says, when you rise, when you lie down. 
He also talks about aligning space. He says, nail it to the side of the doorpost. Nail it to the city gate. Making the story of God and the instructions of God visual in your space. Now, you can go nuts with this. That's fine. It also can be something as simple as a piece of God's instructions upon the doorpost. That's a part of a Jewish habit, a Jewish rhythm. You'll see them kiss it as they come in and as they go out. Maybe uh, you could anchor your decorating throughout the course of the year. If you're moving into the Lent season or Easter season, decorating a certain way. Christmas decorations, what? To create space, visual space. So we what? Know that we are devoted to God. We're disciplined to God, doing things His way. That there's a difference in how we do things. Aligning space. He goes on and says, verse 22. If you will do that, if you will do that, I will be careful to do all this commandment. I've commanded you to do, love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, hold fast to him. Then the Lord will drive out all of these nations before you and he will dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you. That means that my, I'm gonna go this way, Elena, ready? All right. My lifestyle can leave a legacy of promise or a legacy of problems for those who come after me. How I live can leave behind a legacy of promise or a legacy of problems. Think about it. Think of a construction worker who's laying a course of bricks A good mason will put down a masonry line because he can lay bricks five times faster because now he knows what's level, what's plumb, what's true. He's constantly going back to that. Why? Because there's courses of bricks that are going to come after that one. So he's very mindful of knowing how these bricks need to be placed because someone else is going to put bricks on top of them. Maybe you've experienced that. Someone didn't leave you promises. Someone left you problems. And you feel that as you build each day of your life. Man. And you feel that tension as you think of your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews and those in your neighborhood who are watching on how to build. Man. Someone left me problems. I will leave them promises. When Jesus comes on the scene, talk about goading, right? The yoke, the weight of the Jewish law. Jesus says to him, he says, take my yoke upon you. It's light. Learn from me. Follow me. And so what am I doing? I'm constantly now adjusting and aligning my life to Jesus Christ, who's the author, the perfecter of the faith. In Numbers chapter 2, God tells Israel how to set up camp. They're at the household, they're at God's mountain, and they're about ready to go to promise. And to make it from point A to point B, you got a whole bunch of people that need to get from A to B. He's like, hey, there's a way to do this. There's a way to set up camp. And the center of camp is going to be the tabernacle. Okay? And it runs kind of like you think of the orientation of a football field east to west, okay? It opens towards the east. It opens towards the cross. That's east. It opens up this way, okay? That's the center of camp. Around that, to the east, to the north, to the west, to the south, is going to be the Levites. 
Right in front of the opening, you have the high priest. You have Moses and Aaron and his family. And then on the north side, on the south side, on the west side, all the Levites, they're going to line up and they kind of create, if you will, a holiness buffer to help people walk in relationship with God. That's their job. That's what they do. So they need to be there so that people understand and respect that I am dwelling in your presence. That's what God's saying. I, the tabernacle, I am setting up in your midst. So you need to orient yourself a certain way. So you got the tabernacle, then you have the priests and the Levites all around them a certain way. And then he says, now everybody else sets up camp. You're going to have three tribes over here, three tribes here, three tribes here, three tribes there. Big block. Twelve tribes. Levites, high priests, God's presence in the center. But then God says this. You make sure every tent, every home, Every dwelling opens towards the tabernacle. If you're setting up tent on the north, you make sure your tent opens towards the tabernacle. If you're setting up on the west, you make sure your tent opens towards the tabernacle. If you're setting up on the south, you make sure it opens towards the tabernacle. I don't care where the fancy rivers are. I don't care where the pretty trees are. I don't care where the nice land versus the hard land is. I don't care what your neighbors are doing. You make sure when you set up tent, it opens up towards my presence. Why does that matter? So that you know that I'm there. See, God manifested his presence during the day as smoke over the tabernacle and at night as a pillar of fire. That meant every Jewish household, every husband, every mother, every son, every daughter could step out of the home and know there's God. There he is. There he is. And if you do that, God says, we'll get to the promised land together. I don't think that's changed. I don't think that's changed one bit. For God says to you, you make sure that your home opens towards my presence. You align and orient your life, your conversations, your time. You align your space so that people are guided into my presence. I think that's why it says in the New Testament, fathers, train up children in the way that they should go. Raise them in the instruction and the admonitions of God. Some of you are like, it's not Father's Day. You're not supposed to beat us up yet. But the people who run the numbers and the people who study certain things inside the church and outside the church, testify to the Father's capacity to set children up for success. I, by no means, am diminishing the role of faithful wives and mothers. Hear me. Do you hear me? Did I say that out loud? I said that out loud. I meant it. But fathers, husbands, you have a tremendous capacity to set your children up for success. So much so that when a father is absent, when a father is not active, when a father is not present, really, really bad things happen. I wrote down some of them. In the midst of a father crisis, when a father is not active, when a father is not present, that family is four times greater of living in poverty. Those children will face more behavioral challenges. They have a higher chance of committing crime and going to prison, which is this downward spiraling of society because we keep pulling the fathers out of the home. Daughters are seven times more likely of getting pregnant in school higher chances of facing abuse and neglect. There's a higher chance of them abusing alcohol and drugs. When the father's not present, they're two times more likely to suffer from obesity, 
two times more likely of dropping out of school. Men. I hear you. Because our lifestyle becomes someone's legacy. Your lifestyle was given to you from someone else, right? Right? I get that. And maybe dad gave you problems and left you problems. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Not your fault. It's just your responsibility. That's all. It's not your fault. It's just your responsibility. So Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. Oh, another thing, guys. When we make faith a priority, it makes her life a lot easier. When we make faith a priority, it makes their life a lot easier. But this is what I will hear. Elena, I'm going to go this way. The faith thing, that's, that's kind of her area. She's a little better at it than I am. So she kind of takes care of the churchy stuff. I kind of focus on doing the work thing, and she does more of the faith stuff. That's kind of where she's stronger at those things, okay? She's just better at that. So she kind of does the praying with the kids and the Bible reading, and, and that's just, just, it's just better if, if she does it that way, okay? I've heard that. Men, this is what we're finding. Her devotion is not strong enough to overcome your neglect. Did you know that? Her devotion isn't strong enough to overcome your neglect. Think about it. She can love and she can pray and she can be obedient to God. But you have this amazing divine capacity to love your wife like Christ loves the church, to love your sons and daughters like Christ loves the church that through your prayers and presence you keep chaos back but that also means the opposite is true that when you put your hands down and you turn your back all hell breaks loose Seven months ago, I sat down with my journal. And in the back of the journal, that paper's still there. It's still there. I don't imagine that even when I change journals, I'll keep this paper with me just as a reminder. I listed all of the fathers in our church family that have kids at home. Okay? I listed out every single father that I knew about that had children at home. Okay? Okay, Bob McGee, nothing personal. You don't have children at home. You weren't on the list. Okay? Harry, nothing personal. I love you. You weren't on the list. Okay? Some of you guys on the list. Why? Because you're, as a father, you have children at home. There were 29 fathers. 29 fathers that I could come up with. Your names, some of you, on the list. Representing about 121 families, kids. At that moment, seven months ago, half of those guys were in crisis. Half in crisis. To the best of my ability as a pastor after a couple decades of assessing families, okay? So take it for what it's worth. Men who were not orienting homes towards. Men who were not orienting their lives and aligning their life towards. And I could see chaos working in and working over. Half of them. Half of them. 
Seven months later, a lot of them are gone. And many of their homes are worse. And I don't know what to do about it. I pray. I preach. Do my best. So I started doing men's breakfasts and sharing books on guy stuff and gathering men around the table. I encourage you, join me and praying for men, and praying for fathers, and praying for husbands, because this is what I know. And ladies, uh, you're awesome. You're faithful. Commend you 100%. But I know this. I know this. I know this. If I can get the dad, I'll get the family. It's just a fact. It's the way God has wired it, that if I can get the father, I'll get the home. If I can get the father, pointed towards Christ, I can get the marriage pointed towards Christ. If I can get the father pointed towards Christ, I can get the kids pointed towards Christ. It's a fact. If I can get a dad to start aligning his life in devotion and discipline and anchoring himself in the stories of God, in the deceptiveness of our hearts, in living differently, and if generation after generation after generation will testify to the goodness of God. If I can get a man to understand that his left lifestyle leaves a legacy. My neighbor knocked on the door last night. Awesome guy. Love him to pieces. He's from Hungary. I can understand about every third word. Big Hungarian. Frank. He was at a garage sale yesterday. His wife took him to a garage sale. Smart husband. Good guy. He said he found something that I would want. So really. He's going through a bunch of old books. He says, it doesn't mean anything to me, but I knew it would mean something to my neighbor. It's an old Bible. Someone's old family Bible. Late 1800s. He had gone through it, and it's full of dedications. There's a funeral service in there. There's... uh, a Sunday school card from the early 1900s. This is from a family in the Osgood area. When people were baptized, when people were married. I says, thank you, Frank. You're right. This book means a lot to me. But there's also something sad in the story. Because somewhere around the 1930s, there's no more entries. There's no more stories. There's no more inserts. I'm sure people got married, right? It's Dark County. I know they're getting married up there, right? I know there's people doing stuff up there. But in this family, the Bible stops being a part of it. You feel the tension of that truth. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. To our single moms, to our wives that come alone, I commend you. I'm so proud of you. May God give you a double portion of his blessing. And may God answer the prayers of your heart. 
truly answer the prayers of your heart. I have heard your prayers. I have prayed them with you. I know the tears that you weep. To our men, you can be here. That doesn't mean you're here. Let's turn those homes towards Christ. Huh? Can we do that? Let's pray for our men. Let's pray for our fathers. Let's pray for our husbands. Maybe you didn't have a father who taught you those things, but you have a father who can teach you those things. Maybe you didn't grow up in a family that taught you those things, but you have a big brother who will teach you those things. And to the best of my ability, as long as he gives breath, as for me in my house, we will build upon the Lord. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.